Our reading this morning is from Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The word of our Lord. In the name of our triune God, amen. As a kid, my parents and I went camping all the time. As I grew older, the camping trips I would go on were mostly with the Boy Scouts, but as a young kid, it was always just the three of us. My parents still to this day, they told this story last weekend, uh, they loved to tell a story from when I was about a year old. One weekend, we went camping at a state park in Pennsylvania, where I'm from, called Promised Land. It was one of our most favorite state parks to go camping. I had just learned how to walk, and apparently I loved to wander and explore. While my parents were setting up our tent for the weekend, I had decided to go on a little excursion around the campsite. My parents turned their back for just a few seconds to get the tent ready, and when they turned around again, I was gone. Nowhere to be found. Now, I'm not a parent, but I can only imagine what they were thinking and feeling in that moment. Fear, terror, maybe even anger or frustration. Well, as the story goes, they looked uh, down both sides of their old tan and white Ford van, and I was still nowhere to be found, until finally they walked around to the front of the van, and there I was, all of one year old, grabbing onto the front of the bumper with everything I had with a big smile, giggling away, happy as can be. I'll get back to this story in a second, but I want us to direct our attention to Paul's letter to the Jewish Christian church in Rome. We heard the beginning of this letter last week with a triumphant proclamation that Paul is unashamed of the gospel and that we should be too. But then Paul goes on and on and on to say over the next four chapters that, uh, that all people are actually, quote, bound to their sinfulness. Paul's letter, which starts with lovely greetings and salutations, quickly turns into a theological diatribe against the divisions of the church in Rome. 
Paul lifts up the people who don't acknowledge or honor God. He lifts up Jews who can't keep the law and those who judge others. He basically lifts up, lifts up all people and says that since we've all sinned and that no one is perfect, then obviously the wrath of God is going to come down upon us. Thanks for the good news, Paul. But then Paul does give us some good news. Paul does remind us that through Jesus Christ, we have been justified before God and that this justification and reconciliation comes to us by faith given to us by and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're thinking, I need a seminary education to understand any of that, I certainly would not blame you. I mean, I even often read Paul and I think, okay, sure, that might be true, but like, first of all, what? No one understands what you're talking about. And seriously, does anyone even care what any of this even means? But then, I had the honor of leading this week's Wednesday morning Bible study, and as it turns out, I did dramatically underestimate the care and concern you all still do have with your relationship with God and the impacts that this relationship has on you and upon your neighbor. So I want to take just a few minutes this morning to, to kind of talk about this concept of the wrath of God, this concept of justification, and kind of what it all means. First, let's talk about the wrath of God. What comes to mind when you hear that phrase? Is it an angry God who is willing to strike down people or cities? Yes. Perhaps it's a biblical flood or those those crazy plagues of Egypt in the book of Exodus. I often hear this kind of uh, rhetoric, I'll call it, from our Christian sisters and brothers of various denominational backgrounds who use it to prop up certain agendas. For example, uh, just the other week, I heard a televangelist comment that the Equality Act, if you've been paying attention to the news, the Equality Act, which was before uh, the House, that if it were to be passed, then it would cause the ground to vomit us out and call down the wrath of God to destroy us as a nation and tear us down as a nation, quoting verses from Leviticus. Hmm. I don't think this sounds like the creator we know and love, though. This kind of anger and, dare I say, hatred doesn't sound like the one who took on our own human existence to reveal a gospel of love and grace for us. No, I think our Creator is much more like our Father and like our Mother, who might have a righteous wrath when their precious child goes missing even for just a moment. That wrath of sadness and fear and terror when a fun moment of setting up a tent becomes one of an emergent crisis. I think our God does have a wrath, but it comes from the deepest possible of love for God's children who are still learning to walk together and talk together and who might, yes, who might go astray, who might go missing for moments in time. And because we have been made in God's image, we can imagine what that wrath feels like. That deepest of desires to do anything to make God's creation good and holy and righteous and to ensure that all of creation has the best opportunity to live together in peace and harmony 
for our children. So with that being said, I think we can have a different understanding of what it means to be justified in the eyes of our Creator. Here, justification is used to talk about cleaning up those rough edges that impact our relationship, like a word processor can justify that right edge of a word document to make it all nice and clean. We're not talking about making perfect. We're not talking about being pure. We're not talking about totally removing consequences either. It's a justification that allows for healing of relationships. When I wandered away from my parents 24 years ago and their wrath boiled up inside them, they didn't cast me out after I was found. Of course they didn't. That would be crazy, right? Instead, they were overwhelmed with joy. They were so thankful that I was still there. And my sin of leaving without permission I'm sure had consequences on my family, but it didn't define our relationship for the rest of the weekend. It didn't have power over us moving forward. This is how our Father and our Mother in Heaven experiences each of us, too. We are not perfect. We will wander off. And God's wrath may be made known, but it's not to frighten us or to beat us into submission. Simply a pure reaction to the desire to bring each of us back into experiencing God's love for us each and every day. This morning, we, we hear Paul's words for us on the effects that living in this state of justification can and should have. Paul tells us this morning to boast about it. He says we should brag about how amazing our Creator is that we can live in this state of permanent relationship. Paul reminds us that even though we may be enemies, even though we may be weak, even though we may be sinners, our God still loves us and is constantly working to help us be righteous, to help us be good and whole and wonderful created children so that all of creation might just benefit from it. Yes, Paul tells us to boast because we gather around a story, a story of our Creator who dared to come into our existence and dwell among us so that we could see that this place, this home which has been gifted to us, we can see what it's supposed to look like and be like. We can boast that we are most welcome in this community and in this story, a community and story which transcends place and time, which tears down those divisions and brings all people into the hope of Christ, a hope which will never disappoint because it is deeply rooted in the resurrection and recreation of our one God. My hope is that we can better and, and more holistically talk about our God, that we can live holy in the love and hope of God and experience God's wrath, not as something to be afraid of, but something to notice, so that we all can indeed live better together, so that our neighbor might be lifted up and brought into wholeness and love, so that our relationships are justified and that sin no longer has power over us. Because in God's kingdom, hope is found in the beauty of good and healthy relationship, 
which does reveal God's love and allows space for the Holy Spirit to move and to work and to build faith in us all. Amen.